0: Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series 29, the book of Acts. So, we're in Acts chapter 25 today. I would invite you to uh, to go there. We've got a few more weeks left in our Acts series, and this has been such a powerful, powerful time of contemplating the work of the Holy Spirit uh, through the early church, if you will. When God is desiring to write a new story, we've titled the series 29 and god is wanting to use a person like you and a person like me to write a story that's never been written for the glory of god as we anchor deep in the lord okay so i pray that you would experience that even today and throughout this week let's open our hearts and pray and ask the holy spirit really just to have total permission uh, to speak into our lives right now father we we adore you and jesus there's no name like your name you're so worthy of all praise and adoration and and just our affection father in christ uh we 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 just exalt your name today we we pray in the name of jesus father that the holy spirit would have total freedom just to move in this room many people are watching online i pray that wherever they are today wherever they find themselves father that you would minister in a powerful way to them that you would bring about even deeper revelation illumination but more than anything transformation so uh have your way in this room now i pray in jesus name amen Amen. dietrich bonhoeffer is considered to be really a pioneer in the gospel movement in germany dietrich bonhoeffer would write a book called the cost of discipleship he He counted the cost of what it meant to follow Jesus. He made this statement, and I want to start this message with this. He said, when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Bonhoeffer would be arrested by the Gestapo, and that Nazi police group that Hitler had put together were trying to go against pretty much all evangelicals at that day. We know the amount of suffering that the Jews went through, but Bonhoeffer would be incarcerated. He would be thrown into a prison, a concentration camp, and then on April 9th, 1945, he was hung and he died. Bonhoeffer would go on to say this, without some measure... Of suffering there is no Christianity without some measure of suffering there's no Christianity here's what I would offer to you suffering it comes in a variety of shapes and sizes every person under my voice in this room online no matter what your your age is you've experienced suffering you've experienced some pain in your life And what you've gone through is unique to what you've gone through. It's not a one-size-fits-all. There's three realms of suffering that I was contemplating this week. You've got general suffering. General suffering is that every person is going to experience sickness. They're going to experience death. They're going to experience illness. They're going to experience some type of difficulty in their lives. There's just a general suffering that we're all familiar with. I was talking to my friend, Kevin Reach. He was in the first service, head football coach at Monroe. And we were working out on Tuesday, and Kevin said, hey, uh, 19 of my players have the flu. It would be like, wow, 19. We worked out again on Thursday, and he said, Tim, 33 of my players have the flu. So we would hear that and just conclude that we live in a fallen world, sickness, illness, difficulty, it's just part of living on this fallen planet. There's general suffering. And then I would cause you to contemplate the consequential suffering that many of us have experienced. Consequential suffering is suffering directly related to your sin or maybe the sin of someone else. There's consequences to sin, and sometimes we experience the collateral damage if it's done by others, but sometimes when we look at it, you go, uh, that that was me. And then I would tell you there's a third type of suffering that I'm going to dive into today, and I would call that suffering affiliation or allegiance suffering. You're guilty by association. That would be where Bonhoeffer was. Because of his faith and commitment to Christ, he was suffering as a, as a follower of Jesus. The apostle Paul, as we've read through the narratives in the book of Acts, repeatedly he's suffering because of affiliation. His alliance if you will so you're going to engage and encounter different types of suffering in life and i pray that we would all count the cost and really want to suffer for christ's namesake in acts chapter 25 paul is finally Uh, brought before Felix, if you will, to stand, or should I say Festus, to stand trial. He had stood before Felix in Acts 24, the governor. Now Festus is in control, if you will. And Paul is finally being brought before him. Paul spent two years in this prison, incarcerated, because he believed in the resurrection of Jesus, period. They're bringing all these accusations and charges against him. And I can tell you, when you study Paul's life, he stayed faithful to the Lord, and his resolve to honor the Lord no matter what was the echoing statement of his life. So, Paul is finally being brought before Festus. Verse 7 When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. When I study scripture, Old school when I used a paper Bible. Now I pretty much use my iPad in all my study, but even now I will highlight words, I will underline words. When I'm studying, I have to do something with it. If you looked at my old Bibles, you would find so many notes and highlights, and this was yellow, and this is blue, and whatever, Julie, right? But I, I underlined that many. They brought many serious accusations against him that were false. They couldn't prove it. Paul denied the charges. I'm not guilty of any c- crime against the Jewish laws or the temple of the Roman government. He said that in chapter 24, even when he was dealing with Felix. Now he's before Festus. Festus, and here's another line I would underline. I would just circle this. Festus wanting to please the Jews. i will get back to that. He asked Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? Paul, being a Roman citizen, was like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to Jerusalem to stand trial. All these false accusations tried me here, basically. This is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well that I'm not guilty of harming the Jews. If I've done anything worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I'm innocent, no one has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. So I appeal, I appeal to Caesar. Listen to this. Here's the contrast right out of, in, in this text. Festus wanted to please man. Paul was determined to please God. If I read through Scripture just as a student of Scripture, I stop and go, okay, who am I trying to please? Galatians 1.10. Memorized that years ago, Right. Am I seeking the approval of man or the approval of God? If I was seeking man's approval, I could not be God's servant. You see, as you contemplate and read Paul's narrative, Paul did not fear death. Paul feared not honoring God. That's a healthy type of fear and reverence. But even in Paul's statement back to Festus, paul basically shares two observations Uh, one i'm cool with being accountable for anything i've done with my life and the emphasized is i really believe that the lord is my defender Uh, those would be two great things to contemplate in your own journey right Uh, i I know i'm accountable for anything i've done i'm good with that but the lord is my defender ultimately He's in control of my life. Here's three observations underneath that to think about. One, I would encourage you, even as Paul would lay out here, that our walk must be consistent with our talk. It's one thing to talk a game. It's another thing to walk the same. We must know what we believe, but we must really live out what we say we believe with conviction. Paul lived it out there were constantly going to be consequences for him taking a stand for walking with Christ. And he goes, I'm, I, I'm cool. My walk and my talk are consistent. The problem in the Bible Belt, the southern church, is so many people talk one game and they walk another one. And so there's such a gap and contradiction, if you will. Now, when I say that our walk must match our talk, I'm not telling you that you're going to be perfect with everything you do 24-7. But I will tell you, if you're desiring to honor God, you will listen and be attentive to the correction of the Holy Spirit so that when you do start to drift, you recognize His voice, and you're allowing Him to call the shot so that you repent and you can change quickly. The second thing I would say here is not only should our talk and our walk match up with each other, we must be accountable for our actions. And when Paul makes the statement, I'm accountable, and if I've done anything worthy of death, I'm not afraid of dying. We need to live with such high-level accountability every day in our lives, And I'm not talking about for those in full-time ministry. I'm talking about for any person who claims to be a follower of Christ, we need to live with a very high standard of accountability. We need to live in such a way that we're so ready right now in this moment to stand before a holy God and give an account. We must live with accountability. And even if you study uh, the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy and Titus, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, talks about the criteria for elders and leaders, but it says, hey, you must be above reproach. Well, that, but the word above reproach, I believe, should be what all of us aspire to, meaning when people throw mud and slop at you, it doesn't stick to you because it's not true. The third observation I would make is We must have confidence that the Lord really is our defender. We don't have to defend ourselves. And Paul, when you study his life, he didn't try to manipulate the situation that he was in, even though Felix, when he was governor, multiple times we read that he tried to bribe Paul. Paul goes, I'm not not playing that game. I'm going to be consistent my character, my integrity, who I am. I've got to be true to who I am. And he just kept sharing Christ. I would I would say this to all of us. I believe that God is calling each and every one of us, Drew, to live with so much confidence and boldness in our relationship with Christ that no matter what the circumstances are, people go, Man, I see Jesus in you. And I think a lot of people oftentimes have circumstantial faith meaning circumstantial joy, that when the circumstances favor what they want, then they're they're all high-fiving happy, uh, appear to be joyful, but when things don't go their way, they start to come unraveled. Right? I mean, you Georgia fans are so happy today, and you Tennessee fans are so happy today, but you brave fans, thank you for at least showing up. But if you notice how some people get all fired up when their team or circumstances of life, oh, this is exactly what I want. I'm not dogging you, Marty, but if Bama would have been on the winning side, I don't think you're wearing orange today. (laughs) But if we live sold out to Jesus, knowing that he is faithful to lead us, We will desire to obey the Lord in the present moment of the now. I took Hannah, my little girl, my 20-year-old, we had a little daddy-daughter date on Friday. Barb's on her Route 66 trip, and she's been gone for two years and three months and, well, actually seven days, but it feels like forever. But Hannah and I were having lunch the other day, and She was talking about some of the conversations that she has at work, and she's so thankful for Tim, the guy she works for. And she was just talking about some of the spiritual conversations and devotional times they have. And she said, well, I I was leading Wednesday the the talk, and I said, that's cool. What, What did you talk about? And she was talking about Paul and Silas being in prison, but she was making the observation to me. She said they were praising God not because of an outcome but because of god's faithfulness and she said i've been thinking about that and she said if god chooses never to heal my cystic fibrosis that i want to praise god no matter the outcome and she said even if god were to take me at a young age I want to praise God for his faithfulness not because of an outcome. And I'm telling you I'm sitting there the other day looking at her and I'm like, "Ah, thank you for sharing that with me." And and hold me accountable, Hannah, that daddy will praise God no matter what. circumstances or outcome let's make that together let's walk this journey together that god is our defender and deliverer no matter what we go through first peter chapter 4 verses 13 through 16 says rejoice as you share christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed oh if you want to celebrate his glory and if you want to celebrate the win then celebrate the suffering okay if you're insulted for the name of christ you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of god rests upon you but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer that would be totally wrong and sinful Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Two key words. If you study Scripture here, I would tell you the two key words are rejoice when. Not rejoice if, not rejoice when you want to. Rejoice when you suffer And when you share in the sufferings of Christ, when you're identified with Jesus in your suffering, rejoice. Rejoice when people hurl insults, all the stuff we've read, but rejoice. Rejoice when you are persecuted and insulted and put down and harassed. Rejoice. Rejoice when you, just because you're a follower of Christ, back to Bonhoeffer, back to Paul. This is the stuff that Paul was enduring in acts chapter 25 he was constantly being attacked and harassed because of his allegiance and proclaiming jesus is lord and the resurrection now let's get practical suffering transcends all people it doesn't matter what your age what your nationality what your color what your iq what your financial portfolio looks like suffering and grief leaves no people group untouched every family every individual trait every person is going to experience suffering suffering is the universal language and i've said that over the years but i want you to think about it it is the universal language it ties us all together it doesn't matter again jeff it doesn't matter what your age is what your color nationality it doesn't matter if you've got a gazillion dollars in the bank or if you're broke as a joke people suffer people die people hurt we we, we get the news the ultrasound, man, it reveals that there's something wrong with your baby. You suffer, Kara. You, you get that news where you're like, "What's going on?" And we're praying, and we're trying to trust God, and we're leaning in, but we're we're on this m- roller coaster ride of emotions and thoughts, and oh God, what's happening? Or or, or we sit down with a person, and they're like. Tears flowing down their face. My husband loved me. He ran off with another chick. I've got these four kids. I'm trying to figure it out. Or it can be the other way. The woman leaves the guy. It happens. Or or we meet a friend and we're praying down front, phone call, wherever. Hey, they say it's stage four, terminal. Uh, It's not looking good. You you see, all of us have had these interactions, and all of us have these kind of times where we're hanging out with people, and maybe you're better off than I am in this area. I'm just being transparent. But because so much of suffering seems so random and meaningless and undeserved, sometimes I have to scratch my head and go, why that person? I mean, Amy loves you, Lord, and Amy is a great lady, and if I was gonna allow a person to have an aneurysm and then have another one and doctors tell her husband she's got a less than 5% chance of survival, I don't think I would've given it to her. I think that way sometimes, that's not the person I wanna see with kidney failure, that's not the person, no, Lord, not them. You ever get there? I'm not saying I would give it to somebody else, but sometimes I sit there and I'm like, God, what's up with that? And I conclude often that God's ways are not my ways, and then I'm forced to conclude, thank God I'm not God. Thank God I don't know how to be God. Thank God that I'm not capable. Thank God that I don't see. Sometimes I can see in the moment and get lost there when it comes to suffering. And it just seems random. It seems meaningless. And then we start to wonder, like, maybe you're the recipient and you're going, what did I do to deserve this? And if we really play it out, it's like, I deserve hell and eternal damnation. But in the midst of sometimes the immediate diagnosis or whatever, we go, I've been working out and I've been eating clean and now this. You ever been there? I'm just struggling out loud. Like, God, if you you really love me, like he don't, but he does, why did you allow this to happen? Am I being punished? Does God really know what I'm going through? Does God really care what I'm going through? God, I know you've raised the dead, but do you? are you going to do anything here? Do y'all struggle well and suffer well? And you start to read Scripture, and you're like, man, Job... You suffered and you left like this trail of confusion behind. People, like four or five thousand years later, are reading this and they're like, Pfft. There's all this confusion and chaos, like trying to read that guy's biographical sketch. And God says, Well, Satan asked permission, man, to, to mess with Job, and I gave him permission. We read that. And then Job. Job even says in the book of Job, no, God brought this on me. Then Job's friends show up and go, no, dude, it's your problem. And and, and it's so crazy as we start to think about suffering and pain that finger pointing becomes so impulsive. we got to point the finger somewhere. Human nature... Is to blame somebody or something. And when we're going through suffering and tragedy, what we're really struggling with is why? Why is this? And we're struggling with the sovereignty of God, but we're struggling most often with our concept and view of God. Who is God? And even the church, listen to me, even the church tries to explain away suffering. No, the church does. Church people do. Well-intended people, when you're starting to go through like an illness and something is going on with your body, well, Ray, hang in there, man. God is sovereign. And we keep going. What what does that mean? Hey, hey, brother, God is up to something good. And a person is in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of what they're going through. And and church people, because we don't know how to hurt, and we don't know how to suffer, and we don't know how to experience pain, that we're quick to give one-line answers, which really says, praying for you dude which means i am i'm scared to come over there with you and walk with you and hang with you because whew, i don't know what to do with it and then you get over here with your charismatic friends and you all of a sudden you're in pain and you you're hurting and you got this turmoil going in, turmoil going on in your life and they look at you going hey you just got to have more faith And if you don't have more faith, the reason you're not being healed is it's you. And then you swing toward your legalistic friends, and they're like, well, there must be sin in your life. Do do you hear me? Even the church struggles with suffering. If the church got gut-level honest, this thing of Paul being incarcerated locked up for two years in all the beatings that he's gone through, if church folk got real honest and studied it, it might drive them to the true God of the Bible. That the true God of the Bible allows the redeemed and even righteous to suffer. And he doesn't always rescue us from it. And what we learn in the midst of it is I'm not here to try to explain suffering or even try to explain away suffering, but the greatest thing that we could do as the redeemed of the Lord is to grab that hand, no matter what the diagnosis, and to go, hey, I'll, I'll walk with you. Tikkun Olam, Jewish phrase, means practicing being present in the midst of the pain of other people. I'll walk with you and I'll I'll be present. And I'm not here to talk to you. I promise you I'm here to empathize and walk with you. I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to love you. And I think oftentimes suffering reveals so much about our faith in our view of god and we struggle with what, what what do i do when you start to like contemplate suffering from scripture again i said there's consequ- consequential suffering Let me give you some observations. People often suffer because of self-inflicted wounds. You did something jacked up, you're paying the price for it, right? And we can be our own worst enemies and we can do some things that are tremendously self-destructive. You're like, any examples in Scripture? Many. Adam and Eve, you had the perfect environment, but what you did jacked up all of humanity, but you willfully sinned against God. And then you read a guy by the name of like Jonah and God goes, man, I want to use you to take the gospel to Nineveh. And it's like band on the run, brother. I'm, I'm heading in a different direction. And you're like, man, what you're doing is self-inflicted. David, don't mess with her. Oh, you mess with her. And then you kill her husband. Your wounds are self-inflicted. Judas, you're one of the 12. You hung out with him, and you've sold him out. And I think for a lot of us, when it's self-inflicted, we go, I did it. We might not own it initially, immediately, but a lot of times we get there going, "I, I screwed that up. But we suffer. And then people suffer because of the sins of others. I mentioned that earlier And there's some things that we read. It's like God doesn't endorse that or initiate that. And there's things that we go through in life that we experience that are initiated by somebody else. We can say God God allows that, but God would never cause Bathsheba to be raped by David and taken away or Uriah being killed. God, Daniel, I'm going to use where you're at, but Nebuchadnezzar's heart is so far away from me, but I'm going to use this. Paul, I'm going to use where you're at for my glory. There are some things that we endure at times that we go, that was caused by the deception and evil of men. People get sick and just die again. I mentioned that. Every person, every family, every community, no one is exempt. The soul that sins is going to die. Jesus shows up, weeps with those Two sisters, when Lazarus had died, people suffer because of natural disaster. I mean, talking to Hannah, listening to her heart, I'm like, oh, how cool. But then I talked to my youngest one, and he's straight edge, took a job, working down in Naples, Florida. They said Ian, dude, is He's coming towards you. Yeah, we're gonna ride the storm out, Dad. I'm like, well, listen to Ario Speedwagon while you do it, baby. <laughs> and do you know that Ian went just north of Naples? How's it going? Oh, the water's up to our knees. Da-da-da-da-da. Caleb, do you realize hundreds of people died, man? sanibel Fort Myers? You just rode the storm out? Just rode it out, dad. No. We were wise, Dad. I'm sure you were. <laughs> but natural disasters, I mean, whether it's hurricanes, whether it's earthquakes, whatever it is, why don't we suffer, Tim? You know what? You know why a lot of the suffering that we go through, you, you, you know where it stems from? You've got an enemy that wants to eat your lunch, and the Scripture says that Satan has come to steal kill and destroy and a lot of what we think that we're wrestling with flesh and blood is really against the powers and the principalities and the heavenlies and satan wants to take you out satan wants to take you down anything that's redemptive and beautiful from the lord satan wants to take me out he wants to take us out And so we go, why are we suffering? Because we live in this fallen world where there's legit spiritual warfare, and if we're not clothed in the armor of God and prayed up and ready to do battle, I can get my lunch handed to me. Verses 26 and 27, Festus says, there's no clear charge against him. So I brought him before, All of you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Paul's suffering, don't have any charges. Here's the argument. Here's the argument. We don't have anything on him, we just want to get rid of him. And I've seen that happen with coaches, I've seen that happen with pastors. I've seen that happen politically across the board. Here's the bottom line I just don't like him. You don't like him? I just want to get rid of him. He's a threat to me. That's the world in which we live. When you don't like somebody, just get rid of them. Relationships are disposable. And that was really the fundamental argument with Paul. What do you have against him? Nothing. Nothing, really. We just want to get rid of him and I've seen that happen with people. If these little subgroups over here, man, start working together, and I've seen over the 35 years plus of walking with Jesus, I've seen church fights and church splits and in church, people who claim to be followers of Jesus walking on agape fight like cats and dogs. Here's the practical. Here's the practical. A few reasons I know based on Scripture, a few reasons I personally do know based on Scripture that God allows suffering. One, so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that God has comforted us with. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that the god who comforts us in our affliction so that so that what so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted hey i'm going to i'm going to bring about some comfort and peace in the midst of your pain and your chaos but what i want to do is i want to use the comfort that i'm comforting you with and use you as a vessel to help comfort someone else when they go through it I, I i i wanted to play ball so bad just being straight up as a young guy but after the third arm surgery and then i got into the chapel ministry and i would be working with other athletes brett and working with these guys in baseball and all of a sudden they would say man i gotta have elbow surgery cash you went through that didn't you or i've got to have some shoulder work labrum rotator Cash, you went through that, didn't you? And it was almost like God could use the comfort that he gave me in the midst of my affliction to walk alongside others and bring comfort as they were about to go through it. Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your surgeries. Don't waste waste the ultrasound report. Don't waste. Allow God to redeem what he's walked you through to bring healing to someone else. If we learn anything from suffering and pain, it's like, what are you doing? I want you to comfort others. Second point would be this. What, what, what What do we gain from Scripture? What do we learn? We learn patience and endurance as we go through it. If you continue reading in 2 Corinthians 1, the sufferings of Christ or hours in abundance most theologians most can, even pastors in this area are not going to stand in line and tell you to embrace the sufferings of Christ which are in abundance for you to share with him we like the next one so also our comfort in Christ is abundant we don't want the sufferings of Christ we just want the comfort we want the peace we want the perks and he goes stop it he goes on the right, right. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Or if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which you also suffer. Patient enduring. When you go through something and you lean into the Lord and you press into him and you depend on him and that's where you're going for your identity, what does he do? He goes, hey, I'm creating patience and endurance in you. Third thing, why, why do you allow it to happen? Because he wants to get us to a place where we're not relying on ourselves, but we're trusting him. That is a fundamental thing. Again, 2 Corinthians 1, he says, we were burdened beyond our strength so that we despaired even of our life. We wanted to die. We had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, so that we would not rely on ourselves, but we would trust God who even raises the dead. Why are you going through what you're going through? Why does God allow pain and suffering and adversity and tribulation and all this turmoil? Because I don't want you to rely on you, Don. I want want you to trust me, the Lord says. And we become a candidate for the supernatural when we cease to function in the natural. As long as we can trust our natural strengths, we do. And God has to exhaust these things in our lives to say, all right, you ready to rely on me? A fourth observation as we go through it is so that God will receive all praise. And he even says that in 1 Peter chapter 1. He's like, all of this stuff, your faith, like being tested by fire, like gold goes through it. He goes, it will bring praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ is revealed. Why are you going through this? I want you to trust me. I don't want you to rely on you, but you're going to praise me in this storm eventually. You're going to praise me. Sixth thing I would tell you, or fifth thing I would tell you is, God is more concerned with developing our character than we can imagine. When we read Romans 5, we rejoice and exalt in tribulation, suffering, pain. It's bringing about perseverance and proven character. It'll bring about hope. It'll bring about but proven character. Does God care to develop my character? Does God want us to stay infant believers and spiritually immature all of our lives if we crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice and ask him hey conform me into your likeness he's going to allow us to go through so much brokenness it's not going to be funny but he's wanting to mature our faith and the last thing i would tell you is that i'm doing this tim because i love you and i'm for you but i want you to learn obedience We even read that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Jesus, he obedient. David said in Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, man, I went astray. I did my own thing, but now I keep your word. It was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me to suffer that I might learn your ways. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous. And that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. God, I praise you that before I went through this affliction, I would have dodged it, but I've come to know you. I've come to know your heart, your word, your will. God, I, I've really come to trust you. Paul, what are you going to do? You're going to fight him? You, you're going to go after Festus? You're going to try to. Manipulate the situation that you're in because you've had enough of it. You've tapped out. No, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to keep sharing Christ. And if God wants me to die, I'll die. Matter of fact, I'm going to die. It's just a matter of when and how. You're not afraid of dying, no. So here's my close. Think about this. Please. This is something I've been pondering over the last few weeks. As I was prepping this. Suffering invites us to be authentically human with others. Suffering invites us to be authentically just human. Hey, I'm made out of the same mud as you are. We got the same blood, yeah, same boat. It is the great equalizer It's the great equalizer. As a nurse, you walk into people's homes, and some of them may be three million, and some of them may be Dirt. dirt. And you walk in, and you're like, how are you doing today? You see people sitting in a chemo lab, man, and I'm telling you, it's the great equalizer. You walk into a funeral home, and you'll see poverty, And you might see extreme wealth, and they're there mourning somebody that died that they love. The equalizer. Suffering invites us to be authentically human with others. Can you avoid grief? No. I'm gonna say it again. I said it earlier in the message, but I do want you to hear this. Look around you. Who's hurting? Who's legitimately suffering? Hold their hand. Walk with them. Empathize with them. Practice being present with them. Don't try to fix them. I'll walk this out with you. Watching Cindy walk with her friend Linda as her husband declines and dies. I'll walk with you. You're my sidekick. We're in this thing together. We're in it for the long haul. I'm here with you. Don't that minister a lot? That minister's more than getting up here and speaking for 40 minutes. It's like a person with me through my heartache. Create a safe place where others can mourn and grieve. Just create a space and let them talk. Let them Let them spew out whatever is just hurting them. Sandra, you know this. You just so so well. I look at people and I'm like, ah, I'm here to love you. Be willing to walk through the darkest night with a person, be willing to be disrupted, be willing to set your plans on the table. So much of life is a mystery. I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what I. I'm going to walk through later today. I'm going to walk through something. It it might be a high five, right? It might be just a great afternoon of celebration. Not if you're watching the Falcons, but I mean, it might be a great (laughs) afternoon of celebration today. Reality is, it might be some devastating news where you're at the hospital with somebody, you're meeting them at the funeral home. That's part of it. It's like, I'll walk with you today. I'll love on you today. I think that's how we redeem suffering. Hey, we're human in this thing, right? We're under the blood of Christ. We love Jesus. But you're not heavy. You're my brother. You're my sister.